Wow, I feel like I'm in a new place. Praise the Lord. This is wonderful. So good to see you this morning. Hope you had a good week. You're well rested and anxious to hear the word of the Lord today. Are you? Amen. Okay. You're not watching television here. You can interact a little bit with this. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you, first of all, for just giving us the breath of life today. As always, we thank you for our salvation. Lord, may we never forget uh, the work that you did for us on the cross, that we might enjoy the life that you've given to us, to have this life uh, in such an abundant way. And Lord, we're just so excited about what you're doing in our hearts and what you're doing here at Laurel Hill in this part of the world, very strategically placed by you, Even from the foundation of the world, you called us together to be a church family, to be a body of believers that would witness in this part of the community, very specifically. And Lord, these changes that we're making cosmetically really are just a reflection of the change that you've done in our hearts, that we've gone from the old to the new. And we thank you for your spirit that indwells us and Pray that you would make us a church of believers for many, many, many years to come until you come back. Lord, may we be just that place that people would want to be a part of and a place that people would desire to know you and to come to know you as Savior. So, Lord, uh, we ask your blessings today, but mostly we ask that you would help us to bless you by honoring you in our hearts and our minds and our thoughts as we are so easily tempted in this life. Thank you for this subject that we're on right now, Matthew's Gospel, because uh, we can identify with it very easily. And so, Lord, may our hearts be in tune to you. May you use this moment to bring glory to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, so we obviously didn't get finished with the first part last week, so let's talk about part two of a time to be tested. A time to be tested. Tested, And I dare say that each of you had some form of testing uh, this week. In fact, some of you are probably being a little challenged and tested right now. Some of you, I'm sure, are probably saying, they're all excited about the changes in here, but I don't really like it. Some of you are being tempted to say, nobody asked me. You know, there are different kinds of temptations that come about from us uh, to us every day, every moment. We live in a life that is full of temptations. And so I hope that you'll think about your life right now as we look at what God is doing in the life of Jesus in this particular section and helping us as God's people to overcome temptation in a proper way so that we're not overwhelmed and overcome by it. You understand what I mean? So that we're not overtaken by the things of our flesh and the things that uh, Satan would throw at us, just our own sinfulness. I was talking to somebody just the other day about how you know, Satan really a lot of times doesn't have to do a lot. He just lets us live out our own sinful flesh and just, like I said last week, sprinkle a little pixie dust on it and just make it a lot worse. And so we really honestly, beloved, are really the root cause of a lot of the problems where we want to blame Satan, it's really not so much Satan a lot of times, it's our own hearts because we give in to our fleshly temptations. And then that, of course, gives way to sin. And we'll see that once again this morning. Okay, so let's do this. Let's stand together and read Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 through verse 11. 
We covered verses 1 through 4 last week, but I want to reiterate that just as we're getting our minds back in gear, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 11 today if we get through all of that. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And now for today. And then the devil took him into the holy city and said to him, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came And began to minister to him. All right. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now I gave to you what I think again is on the back of your bulletin for this morning. The beginning of a brief outline. Just to help you kind of stay together in your mind with what's being said here. As we want to talk about this practically. Number one we talked about last week from verse one. That often God does bring about times of testing for us. Secondly, testing usually begins, usually begins with a challenge to our flesh. Now for today, I want to try to cover these other parts, which is testing often challenges us to presume upon God. And then finally, testing ultimately challenges our faith in God. And you can see how it kind of begins to move down this hierarchical spread of intensity. Now this section of Matthew shows us that the power, really shows us the power that Jesus had to overcome the temptations of Satan. And that is the key point of this whole section. Remember again, Matthew is writing, elevating Jesus to his proper place as king of Israel. And so these incidences are proving who he is. And so let's not lose those thoughts as we talk about practicality. Often as we want to hear something practical from God, we miss the point of what God's really saying. So let's not get too lost in what we want out of this, but let's make sure we're lifting Jesus up. Now, because Jesus was tempted, he can identify with every temptation that we've experienced. And we talked about that last time. He can identify with every single pain that you've struggled with. Everything. I'm not going to take time to go through all of that again. You can listen to the message from last week to understand that. But everything that you've struggled with, everything that you are currently struggling with, He has experienced or at least been tempted with it in some way. We know that because of what the writer tells us in Hebrews 4.15. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Often people will say, yeah, but he was God. He can't really identify with what I'm going through. There's no way. He lived way back then. I live now. There's just no connection. But that's not what the word of the Lord says. We have one who has been tempted in all things as we are. All things. So don't be lost in the thought that you are the only one out there who's experiencing what you're experiencing. The Lord Jesus, according to his word, has been tempted in that way already. And notice this, yet he was without sin. Praise his name. Amen? That gives us hope, doesn't it? 
I mean, that gives us great hope knowing that we have a Lord who can provide for us sanity, if nothing else, to go through the times that we need to get through. We also need to understand that there are times, as I mentioned just a moment ago, that God will test us. He purposefully brings about or allows even evil to be used as a time of testing in our lives, which is for the purpose of growing our faith to bring us closer to him, to challenge us with what we really believe. And we need that. There are times where we really need to put our belief where we say our mouth is or where our mouth shows up a lot of times. we got to have those times. We are weak. And so the Lord will bring about things to challenge us so that we will fully invest ourselves in him and fully trust him, which is what he wants. That's a beautiful father, isn't it? In this life, we grow up under earthly fathers that send us off on our way and we grow up in our lives and make decisions on our own and we're kind of taught by that that we don't need anybody else. But our God in heaven says, no, I want to be your father every day always. I want you to trust me for everything and I will provide every need that you have. So we need to remember, beloved, that God in the midst of our temptations, our tests, God never has a plan to harm us. He is not a God who can be tempted by evil to do evil. He doesn't bring bad things upon us, but he does use those things to challenge us according to what we really believe. John 10.10, the thief, however, talking about Satan, comes to do three things, kill, steal, and destroy. But the Lord Jesus says, but I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Boy, that's a God that I can serve. How about you? I mean, that's a good God, right? We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. Let's make sure we're putting our thoughts and our actions in the right place. Let's not blame God for the things God is not responsible for. Satan is the one who's trying to destroy us. It's our natural sinful lusts that do all of that, that cause us to be open to this kind of onslaught by Satan, this continual attack by him. And when we give in, we sin. This is what James said. We are enticed by our own lusts. We have this wickedness in us that is easily enticed to the look of the eyes, you know, Scripture says, the mind, the soul, everything can be enticed to follow after evil. But James says, when we give in to that lust, that's when we sin. It's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in to those things. That's where the evil comes from. Okay, so we just want to make sure we're seeing the distinction between who God is and who Satan is. Now, when Satan is involved in the temptations, he usually brings this challenge to our flesh. Again, I'm just reviewing from last time, so we're very, very clear about this. And I, I want to spend some time on this because I really believe these are the subjects that most of us really get hung up on. We really miss God in our day-to-day routine because we just don't understand what's really happening. If we understand what the enemy is doing and what our flesh is doing to us, then we can head it off, right? Amen? Does that make sense? If you know the outcome or you know how to get to the, to the end of the thing, whatever it is, you can know how to attack it while you're in the middle of it. Jesus, in this case, was weak in his flesh. We know that because the text has told us that he was on the mountain for 40 days. And then he became hungry. Can you imagine the hunger that comes after 40 days? I can't go 40 minutes without having some kind of hunger pain. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But he was 40 days and we're told then he was hungry. And when Jesus was weak from his hunger is when Satan came against him. And Satan tried to do specifically 
one major thing. It's kind of multifaceted in its subsets, but one major thing, and that was he tried to get Jesus to ignore the Father. That's what he wanted. That's what he wants from us. Ignore the spiritual God. Ignore this one and just make decisions on your own. Basically, Satan said, if you're really God's son, there's that doubting question, you can feed yourself, big boy. You're not a baby here. You can do all this if you really are who you say you are. So just turn those stones to bread and take care of yourself. The bottom line was he was really challenging Jesus' identity. And don't we find that that's where Satan attacks us in our identity? He wants us to question who we really are. Am I really a child of God? Am I really the person that I hope to be? The funny thing is, is people will say, am I really the person my dog thinks I am? Your dog comes home. I mean, you come home and your dog is like, yeah, I'm glad to see you, warts and all. And, you know, we know our hearts. But am I really the person that I think that I am? And so we're often challenged in our identity. So we're learning from all this. If the Father took care of Jesus, and we know he did, then he's going to take care of us because he loves us. He's going to fulfill everything he wants from us and in us to accomplish. And when he's ready, he will use us for his purposes. We are living this life for his sake. We've got to get that in our heads. We've got to get it in our hearts that we live this life for the Lord Christ. And he will use us for his purposes in his time, in his way. Our flesh often wants to push past that too. We could preach a whole message on that. We cannot ever take our lives into our own hands outside of what the Lord Christ wants for us. We cannot do what we want. We cannot ignore what God says. Let's keep repeating that over and over again. What we do is we put our plans in front of the Lord, and we say, Lord, these are my plans. Now you take them and make them what you want them to be. Adjust them, throw them out, completely flip them over, reverse them. Whatever you want to do, you do it. And God will do that when our hearts are really willing, and he'll bless us, and he'll bring glory to himself through it all. Now we need to also remember, we cannot withstand any of these things, these temptations specifically, without Jesus. We have to have him in all this. He must be our strength as the Holy Spirit pours out his power into us. Critical, critical, critical that we remember these things. And when we don't obey the Lord, we take on a new identity. We take on an identity when he is our Lord and we're obeying him. But when we don't listen to the Lord, we also take on a new identity, one that God has not given to us, one that is anti-God, And we will do the exact opposite of what God wants from us. And we'll step out from under God's divine, merciful plan. And there will often be judgment for that. Because God, if we belong to him, will bring about correction so that we're following him. But often our lives become a real train wreck. I was just yesterday down at the Bridge Ministry in Buckingham at an open house kind of a thing I was invited to. And uh, it was just a blessing to hear Brother William Washington, who started that ministry, talk about his own life. If you know anything about that ministry, it's a ministry to those that have had drug abuse problems and alcohol abuse, and their lives have just been greatly messed up. Men, it's a men's place. And um, done, many of them have been incarcerated for uh, various terms, or at least maybe looking at that. But it's become such a wonderful ministry, just as a side note, that even the legal system, in fact, the chief of the Charlottesville police spoke yesterday, 
it's been such a blessing that the legal system has been begun to appoint uh, people there as part of their sentencing because it's become so effective in ministering to these people. But Brother William was talking about this subject right here in the heart, and he says, he said this was, was really interesting. He says, after 30 years of serving this way, I've come to learn that there is no such thing as an addiction. No such thing as an addiction. The problem is always the heart. It's always the heart. Men and women will gravitate towards what will release them in their minds based off of what they think, feel, and see. That's an intellectual issue. But he says when the heart is changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, everything else changes. And they've seen great success from that. And that's what we need to remember. We cannot be a people who just have our, our minds changed. We've got to be people who have our, our hearts changed. Otherwise, we're going to make a real train wreck of our lives. In fact, when you look back on your life right now, if you just take three seconds to do that as fast as your brain works, you think about the times that you wish you would have followed God. You think about the train wrecks that could have been avoided because you could have just put some more faith in the Lord and really trusted Him for who He is. But instead, you took your own path and you said, Lord, I think I know better here because you didn't really understand your identity. You weren't trusting in who you really belonged to. And I think we could all have stories like that. I'm sure we do. Well, don't let those weak times in life become the continual problem. The Lord has come to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. He wants us to be successful. I didn't say in the world, spiritually successful. And when we're spiritually successful, we will be successful in this life in a large degree because then we'll begin to understand what real success is. Does that make sense? Very, very important for us to understand all of that. So don't let the weaknesses cause our flesh to rise up. Listen to what the Lord says. Do it his way in his time, which is what Jesus said. Look at verse 4 here. When he was responding back to Satan, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. In other words, listen, Satan, all this stuff out here you're trying to get my focus on, that's not what's most critical, but we've got to make sure we're listening to everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Everything. That's the central motive of our heart. That's what it should be. Whatever God wants, that's what I want. That should be our, our statement in the morning. No matter how urgent my life seems to be, God, you put me in the path that you want me on. All right, now, that catches us up to number three for today. Testing often challenges us to presume on God. Let's look at verses five and six. Again, just as a refresher here. The devil took him to the holy city, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Just do it. Interesting. Now, this is Satan's next attempt because his first attempt failed. He tried to appeal to the flesh of Jesus. And here he is doing the same thing in a way because that's really all he can do. He can only appeal to our flesh. So he turns the tables on Jesus to see if Jesus now will test the Father. It's an interesting switch. Kind of like saying to Jesus, hey, uh, getting Jesus to say, Father, you know you can do this. So prove to Satan who I am according to what you say. In other words, he's pointing Satan to the Father here. That's what Satan's trying to get him to do. To presume upon the Father. Now that sounds like a good thing. But let me give you a little illustration that fit me in my life when it comes to this. 
Some years ago, many years ago now, I was still living at home. My dad was a public servant for 20 years. He was very well known in the community as a town manager. And there was a local hardware store there that um, dad used to shop at and was very good friends with the owner. And uh, one day I was working on a lawnmower at home, and I couldn't get it running. It was a carburetor issue. I've since learned how to work on that kind of thing better. But uh, I remember giving this man a call, and I said, uh, here's my problem, and I asked him a couple questions. Well, in about three seconds, he spouted out saying, I don't have time to teach you how a carburetor works If you want us to work on that carburetor, you need to bring the machine down here. And it went on and on and on. I was like, and my first thought was, no, wait a minute. This is what was going on in my head. I know that man. I know my dad. My dad is a public figure in the town. Everybody knows my dad. So what did I do? I picked up the phone. I called my dad. And I said, Dad. You're not going to believe what so-and-so just said to me when I asked him a question. And so in my mind, I was thinking, Dad, you need to call him and straighten him out. But you know what my dad said to me? Well, son, he's right. This wasn't the time. That's what he told me. And I don't remember all Dad said, but I remember thinking, are you kidding me? I called the one that I knew was going to stand up for me. But that's not what he did. He stood up for me in the right way by doing the honorable thing. But my point is, as I thought about this, that's often how we respond when we're presuming upon God. We're just kind of putting the words in God's mouth saying, hey, you're going to do this, right? And sometimes God doesn't have plan to do that. So our temptations that come along in life will often presume upon us, or at least cause us to presume upon the Lord. So let's look at the text a little more carefully. Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, Just for a historical perspective, that was probably Herod the Great's temple that he was constructing. And some theologians say that it was about 450 feet. That's a tall part of the temple there that he took him to. You imagine the height of all of that. And Satan says, okay, so if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Your father's going to protect you. And so what did he do since Jesus used scripture earlier and said, okay, you're going to play that game. Let me use some scripture on you because Satan knows scripture. Hello? He knows the word. Listen, the words that you're holding in your lap, he knows them better than you do. He knows them better than I do. So we can't play the game with him thinking that we're going to call him out unless we know the word as well as he does. So in Psalm 91, that's what Satan quotes. He says, he's going to command his angels concerning you. Hey, you want to go back to the word, Satan? I mean, Jesus... Let me go back to the word with you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that they, you will not strike your foot against a, uh, a stone. In other words, Satan thought, if Jesus is going to stand on the word, great, let's go there. Let's play that game. And Satan does this to us a lot of times. For example, people will say, and I'm just picking out some thoughts that came to my mind, God is the great physician. We'll often hear that in our prayers, right? You go to visit somebody or we have some kind of sickness. God will heal me. He can heal me. And all that is very, very true. But sometimes we'll say, I don't need a doctor. God will take care of what he needs to take care of. And again, you can't argue with that. But God also gave us a brain, right? He gave us people that can help us. You've heard the story about the guy who was in the flood, 
Most of you have heard this before. It's kind of a good illustration of this. Who hears about the flood that's coming and people are being evacuated and he says, you know what, God's going to take care of me. I don't need to worry about that. And the rescue people come as the flood waters are coming up more and more and the guy's having to climb up the house a little higher. Eventually he gets up on the roof and the neighbors have been shouting at him and the rescue people say, no, no, finally they come by and say, you've got to get in the boat right now. This is your last chance. No, God's going to take care of me. Well, he dies. He goes to heaven. He says, Lord, I don't understand what the deal was. Why didn't you help me? And the Lord says, I came for you a bunch of times. Do you see? That's that's an old kind of story there, but it really does illustrate the point. It's presumption on our part to think that because we're just a child of God, or not just, but because we are a blessed child of God, nothing bad is going to happen to me. That we're not going to have to go through certain things. And we can often presume on the Lord when the Lord has not said that everything is going to be perfect. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 33, this life is going to be troublesome. It's going to be very challenging, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And again, he's always, Satan is always twisting God's words because he knows, listen, he knows a lot of people don't know the word of the Lord very well. And so if you're with your arch enemy who knows the word of God very well and you don't know it very well, then boy, that just makes you food for him. And so he knows that. He knows that people often get confused making decisions because they don't have the biblical understanding of how to make decisions properly. We all struggle with this. Nobody is above another, but we can learn how to be better at this. You know, usually the decisions are based off of what we think and what makes sense, what feels good, what seems right instead of what's biblically true. For example, many people, here's another example, hold tightly to certain doctrines in the church, not unlike the one I was just mentioning, Bible verses, for example, to make their claim on people to make their point, sometimes to manipulate people when God has not done so, such as, here's a big one, judging others. People will say, don't judge me. God doesn't want us to judge. Don't ever do that. Well, and that's true, right? Matthew 7, we'll get to this later. Do not, not today, but later, you'll, do not judge, Jesus said, so that you'll not be judged. Okay, well, that's scripture. For in the way you judge, you will be judged but by your standard of measure will be measured to you. So they'll point to that verse and they'll say, don't judge me. You see, God has said that. But that's not all God has said about judging. For example, in John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge judge with righteous judgment. Now, wait a minute. Are we to judge? Are we not to judge? Interesting, isn't it? How do we discern that? Well, we discern based on context, and we discern based off what the Lord has actually told us. Matthew 7, verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet. Well, if we don't make some judgments, how are we supposed to fulfill these kind of commandments? And there are many others. So the point is, we can't just blanketly say, Don't judge me, or don't ever judge anyone. That's not accurate. We have to make judgments. What Jesus is talking about here in all of these scenarios is when you're making your judgments about people and scenarios, don't do it with a hypocritical fleshly heart. Don't be self-righteous in your judging. 
judge according to what I have taught you in the word. Okay, that's just an example. Here's another one. Some groups forbid various types of foods because of the Mosaic laws. Some people hold to that. Jesus said, that which proceeds out of the man, that's what defiles the man. In other words, it's not what goes into him, but it's what comes out of him. He's talking about out of the mouth, really. Not just the elimination physically, but what comes out of the mouth. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Now somebody will say, oh really? So I can drink all kinds of weird chemicals and just as long as I say thank you Lord and just throw it back. No, because again God has given us a brain. We have people that have helped us understand that's not good for us. People will say, well God wants us to love everybody. That's true. He does want us to love everybody, but he doesn't want us to love their sin. We are to be people who are careful about warning them to move on in their lives without living with sin. In other words, we're not to presume on God by assuming that it will be okay with him just because it feels right or because I decide it's right, just because we think it's the right thing to do. God is not going to change just because we think a certain thing. He's not going to change his standards. He's not going to change his plans. Mom and dads often don't discipline children biblically because of the fear of what they'll get from the child or the feelings that they'll feel or how they'll respond to it in their own hearts based on their feelings and their emotions instead of what God has said. You see, these are just some points here that Help us understand the presumption upon God. God will just raise up my... We we have a friend of ours who said to us some years ago, as a pastor, he said, with my children growing up in my home, he said, I thought my kids would just get it. I thought that because they grew up in a godly home, they would just get the things of the Lord. But he found out that that wasn't true. Presumption. Presumption on the Lord's part, on his part against the Lord. Lord, you're God, I thought you'd just fix everything. It's not always true. God certainly will do exactly what he's planned to do, and he's always a good God. We've got to keep those things in mind, right? Let's not forget them. But we need to understand God will do what he knows is best to bring glory to himself. We are the tools that he uses to do just that. We're not to use his word in a wrong way. All right, now... So Satan's trying to twist the Father's words to make Jesus give into presumption about the Father. In this case, it was Jesus jumping off the temple. That's a pretty big presumption there. So Satan presumed that God would respond by protecting Jesus, and certainly that would be true. But Jesus also knew that he needed to follow the word of the Lord, and that's why he responded the way that he did, not just fit the circumstances. And there is another part that Satan wanted to do in all of this as well. This is kind of a sub-thing underneath all of this big picture here. He's attacking Jesus, but remember, Satan doesn't just go after one thing or one person. He wants to kind of get the whole thing in his hands. Imagine now the people, for just a minute, who would have seen Jesus jump off of this temple. In fact, history tells us of a couple people, and I won't take you back through that, but I was reading about this in some commentaries. There were men who actually did just this. 
jumped off of the temple in certain places to show them that God was going to take care of them. Well, how they say it's not the jump that's so bad, but it's the landing that's the problem. right? And that was what happened to them. And so they proved exactly what Jesus' point here is. But what Satan was trying to do is he was trying to cause a stir among the people. Let's just think about this for just a minute. If Jesus had done what he said, the Jews would have been so amazed at who this Jesus was, right? And why is that? Because people are so enamored with the spectacular. Wow, you're awesome. Jesus would have been awesome. I mean, look what he did. He jumped off the pinnacle of the temple down here to the ground and angels came and held him up. We can really believe in him now. You see, Satan will often use the spectacular to create enthusiasm and excitement. And there's a place for all of that in its own way. We're talking about this room right now. Now all this was, and I don't want to belittle anything, but this was some paint. This was some upgrading. This was human work here as the Spirit was leading us to do what we felt like God would want us to do in here. But listen, the walls and the building don't make us have a relationship with Christ, right? I mean, we should be able to go sit out in the parking lot and have the same relationship with Christ as we do in a beautiful room. It's not about that. But we often get caught up in the enthusiasm and the spectacular. That's what our world is riddled with these days, People will gravitate to anything that's sensational. It's getting worse and worse. Just pay attention. Whatever's the coolest, the most hip, the most awe-inspiring. In the days of Rome, it was the circus. They would literally take people, Christians especially, and they would parade them out in front of the grandstand so that the lions would come out and devour them. That was all for public play. It was sensational. Look how great the emperor is. Because he causes all of this to happen. And the people were amazed by it. Today we watch spectacular things on television. The amazing catches that a guy does on the field or the kicks or the jumps or whatever it might be. And everybody is thrilled. But it just doesn't last long. Have you been to the mall here lately? You remember the days that the malls came out? I remember when those malls first started, or the mall started in Lynchburg, I thought, man, what an amazing concept. We can actually go shopping inside the whole time? And it's like being inside a city street? You remember that? It was awesome. And all the stores said, yeah, we got to get on that bandwagon. So they sold their properties, which were like literally across the street, and they came over to the mall. And everybody was just amazed at how great it was. Well, now, guess what? You go into the mall, and it's like, eh. Now Stonefield's the big thing. And there's even some businesses now already that are, and I don't know the reason why, but they're not there. But we like the sensational. We want something to be amazing. Jesus dealt with the same thing in his own time in a different way. When some of the Pharisees in Matthew 12 and the scribes said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Show us a sign. And then we'll really believe. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves a sign. Listen, you know what the Lord's saying? Do you really want me to do something for you? Is that what's going to make you believe in me? Because I do something, something sensational? 
Is that why you're following me? He says, an evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, and yet no sign will be given, except for the sign of Jonah the prophet, as just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Check that one out. That's your sign. I'm going to be dead three days, and I'm going to rise from the dead. Nothing's going to top that. That's the only sign you're going to get. In Luke 16, 27... It's the parable or the story. It's not a parable. It's actually a true story of Jesus talking about Abraham, Abraham's bosom where the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man, when they die, the rich man goes into hell and he's in torment. Lazarus goes up into the bosom of Abraham, which is the picture of eternity. And the rich man is in hell and he's overwhelmed by the wickedness there and the heat of the flames and the torture that he's under. And here's what he says. I beg you, Father, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. In other words, if you just do something amazing by letting Lazarus come down from heaven and go to my brother's house, they're going to be so wild that somebody has risen from the dead that they're going to believe. But look what the Lord says. No, no, they won't. They have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. Let them hear them. But he says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. I mean, that's going to make the difference. There's nothing more sensational than that and it's going to change everything for them. But he says to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, listen, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Powerful statement from the Lord. What's he saying? Jesus is basically saying, listen, what you need to know or need to have is faith in who I am. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what's important. Listen, not just faith, but faith in who I am. Not just head knowledge, but you need to have heart knowledge and understand who I am and what I am capable of. Because nothing else is going to work for you. Do you know how many people have started walking with the Lord because the Lord actually did something sensational for them? But after a while, they stopped following Him because there was no more sensational things that were done? It's true. Some of you may have been that way. You started out and now you're kind of looking back and you're saying, well, I haven't really seen God do many exciting things in my life. In fact, it's really been challenging and difficult the more that I follow him. When's he going to do something sensational? I'm kind of losing my faith here a little bit, Lord. Well, maybe the problem is you put your faith in the sensationalism instead of in the God who did it. He hasn't changed. He still has his plan for each of us, which is to bring us into his kingdom, right? He's still planning to rescue us like he promised. He's still planning to meet our needs in the way that he wants to meet the needs, not in the way that we want to meet the needs. It's easy for us to say, Lord, that was really great, but could you do this a little bit more? That was awesome that you provided that, but could you provide just a little bit more? And the Lord is simply just saying, look, I've given you exactly what I want you to have for right now. Don't be tempted to follow after something that's not going to make a difference but follow me for who I really am. We don't need more proof. He did everything to prove himself. 
fact, in John 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. Just pull back the curtains of heaven and show us God. This is one of the disciples saying this to Jesus. Now think about yourself. Okay, we're disciples of Christ, right? This was one of the disciples who lived with Jesus, walked with him, talked with him, felt him, heard him, saw him. And Jesus said to them, Have I been with you so long that you have not come to know me, Philip? What an indictment. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What, Philip? Come on. When you've seen me, you have seen the Father. There's nothing else to see. There's no more sideshows. There's no more circuses. You don't get anything else because guess what? There is nothing better. I am all and I am in all. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? That's a good question for us this morning. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Okay, Philip? If you're just really struggling with who I am, then just check out what I've been doing, man. Just get a load of the examples that I've given to you that prove who I am. Now, don't you see that in your own life? The beautiful times where God really reveals himself in those crazy moments that you weren't expecting. You weren't looking for it, but you needed God to do something, and he just, I like to think of them as being little nuggets. That God just drops in our hands sometimes. Sometimes I'll pray, Lord, I could just, in my weakness, in my flesh, I'll say, Lord, some, I, could just, I could just really use a nugget right now. And the Lord knows what I mean by that. I'm not trying to tempt him, but I guess it kind of is in some ways. But God is so gracious that he'll do something. But it's usually something small in the eyes of man, but it's huge in my heart. But listen, we don't really even need those things. What we really need is faith. Faith just to believe in who the Father is. And listen, let's keep going here. If Jesus had listened to Satan, let's just think about that for a second. If Jesus had actually listened to Satan, he would have sinned against the Father because it wasn't the Father's plan at that moment, which would have absolutely shattered Jesus' perfection and his holiness. We don't want a Savior like that, right? In fact, he would not be qualified as the Savior because he wouldn't be able to pay the redemption price if he had sinned against the Father. This would have been a horrible, horrible scenario. I mean, to test the Father in the way that Satan wanted would have put Jesus' judgment above the Father. And Jesus didn't come to judge above the Father. He said, I came to do everything perfectly as the Father commands me. Now listen, if the Lord himself in human form had said, I only do what the Father gives to me to do, how much more should you and I only do what the Lord gives for us to do and not make presumptions on him? Not presume that he should do something great for our lives and make us better than anybody else or whatever our mind is thinking at the time. The bottom line is we are never again to presume on him by making his word say what it doesn't say. We've got to be careful about that. Or making it say what we want it to say. We're easy to, we do that. That's putting our will above the Father. He has written what he's written. Our job is to simply obey no matter how we feel about it. Did you hear that? A lot of times we'll say, but oh, 
if I say this, then it's going to hurt somebody. Well, maybe they need to be hurt a little bit. And I mean that in a loving way. If it's the truth of the Lord, maybe they need to hear that truth in a loving way. But too, again, often we just recoil because we're afraid of how it's going to affect us, how we're going to feel about it. And so what the Lord really says. So let's not get lost in sensationalism, but just live by faith and trust. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take risks, right? doesn't mean we don't step out of the boat like Peter did with Jesus, which could be some scary things. I mean, the Lord may be working in your hearts right now through a course of time or whatever you're experiencing to get you to move on some things, to get me to move on some things. But too, too often, especially as we get older, I'm finding this to be true, as we get older we become more fearful of things, we become less certain about things, or we like to, get, we like to stay in our comfort zone, and so we don't take those risks that we once took. I'm talking about faith risks. God may be calling people to ministry. God may be laying his hand on you saying, I want you to do this. I want you to serve me more in this way or that way. I want you to step out on faith. He may be saying to us as a church, don't be afraid to be the light of the community. That may be risky for us. It would be risky for us. You know why? Because we live in a very liberal society where Satan loves to manipulate people. And the moments we begin to step outside the door, that becomes risky for us. We've seen it already in the last few weeks. Some of us have stories to share about in our own personal lives about how Satan has been attacking. And it's all come as a result of deeper times of prayer, consistent effort of moving forward. Again, Satan doesn't care what we do inside the building. He doesn't care. Have your little parties. Have your third Sunday fellowship lunches. Paint your sanctuary. Do what you want to do, but tell you what, you better not bring it outside the door. As soon as you bring it outside the door, I'm going to be right there waiting on you. That's how he operates. He doesn't give a rip about what we do inside the building. But when you say, okay, Lord, I've been hearing what you've been saying on Sunday mornings. Wednesday nights, whatever it is in my own Bible study. So I'm going to say to my neighbor, you know, you might want to think about coming to church sometime with me. (laughs) Right? And your neighbor goes, that's the point though, isn't it? You don't know what your neighbor's going to say. Your neighbor may say, I would love to. I've been so... You know what? I had a guy one time tell me, this is his words. I have purposefully withheld from people praying that someone would approach me about coming to church. And you did. And they came, and they were here for lots of years, and now they've moved on to another church, doing a wonderful work. is no problem, just that that's what the Lord was doing. You don't know how the person's going to respond. What Satan wants to tell you is, oh man, they're going to pick up the biggest stone they've got in the yard and they're going to come running at you like this and go chunk it on you. And you're going to, ugh, how am I going to handle that? And you're thinking, my leg hurts already. I got arthritis. How am I going to get away from this? I mean, you know, on and on it goes. We create all kinds of scenarios that are so much of a lie because we presume on God. Or we'll say things like, well, you know, Lord, I mean, come on. They're not going to come to church. I mean, I mean, why would they come to church? 
You Come on, Lord. You know they're not going to come. But that's presumption, right? And the Lord might be saying, uh, that's what you think. You may be the very vehicle that I will use to bring them into the place that I want them to be in. I heard that testimony yesterday. It was a guy who had been incarcerated. He got up and he stood as testimony and said to William Washington, he said, because of this man's faithfulness, I'm standing in front of you today. That was his testimony. Now, William is just a man, just like a human being like any of us, but you get the point. Sometimes it's risky. Sometimes it's challenging, but we shouldn't be afraid to do what God is calling us to do. Who knows what it is? Maybe it's a new move. Some of you have been in the military. You know what that's like, and you dread it. Your children are getting older for some of you, and your life has changed around a lot. It doesn't matter. Taking a new job, getting married, hello? People are waiting longer and longer to get married today. I think a lot of it's fear. Could be. But when we do those things out of a trust for the Lord, that's when we get into into problems. I, I think you understand the point now. We're to take some risks. But just to fulfill our own ambitions is not going to make it work. Okay? All right, let's run through this real quickly and we'll be done. Testing ultimately challenges our faith in God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. You can just see that Satan is at his last attempt here. Here's what I really want you to do. I really want you to worry me. One last trick up his sleeve which was the goal from the beginning. Number one was, do this for yourself. In other words, make some food. The second is, if you won't do that for yourself, get your father to do it. And secondly, hey, come serve me. It's going to be awesome. Let me show you what I will give you if you'll just come follow me. Remember, this world belongs to Satan. That's what Scripture says. 1 John 5:19. we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. For now. For now. He's going to take care of all that. The Lord's going to take care of all that. So in this scenario, Satan does what he can to tempt Jesus to serve him. But since Satan has no real power to convert Jesus, he once again appeals to his humanity and shows him all the glories of the world. Hook, line, and sinker. We buy it all the time. Thankfully, the Lord did not. Can you imagine how tempting that would have been? Now, you may be thinking in your mind, I don't want anything to do with a third world country. That's not tempting to me. I was just watching a little video the other night of this little boy about this big. Now, I don't know how old he was, but he was young. He was walking in a dry riverbed, digging away chunks of mud this big, getting catfish out of the mud from where the water had recessed, but the fish were trapped in there. That was his daily life, I'm assuming. He was getting food that way. I think, okay, Satan, if you're going to show me that kind of world, I don't want that. I don't think that's what he showed Jesus. I think he showed him the glories, which is what the Lord says. Look at the beauty of this stuff. Look at the wealth. Look at the fame. Look at the power you could have. Some of you remember Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson said when he was asked, why do you want to be president? Or why does anybody want to be president? He says, that's easy. One word, power power. There is no job on the planet that has greater power than the President of the United States. That's why they want it. I'm sure that's what Jesus was seeing as he was viewing all these things that Satan had to offer to him. 
Satan knew Jesus was the only one with the divine rights to the kingdoms of the world. He knew that. No question about that. So he tried to get back from Jesus what rightfully belonged to Jesus. If Jesus, you'll come and serve me, then we can rule the world together. Beautiful. How many times has Satan come to you and said, if you'll just give up all that church stuff and forget about those people that just frustrate you and the irritations that you experience within the church, you don't want any of that. Come out here and let me show you what a good time's like. And I'll provide things for you. And he can when God allows us to go through times of testing. Many, many people, again, have been drawn away by that kind of power from Satan. But it was really because they listened to their own flesh. Satan has no power, beloved, over you and me if we don't give it to him. And when we give him our fleshly desires, we expose that to him, he takes that and manipulates us so that we follow our sinful desires. That's what James was saying. He just manipulates. He doesn't do, he just lets us do. You've got to guard your heart. I have to guard my heart on everything so that we're not manipulated to follow him. He will show us everything he can show us, give us everything he can give us, provide everything he can provide us for to get us off the track. So the lesson for us, I think, is we're never going to be all God wants us to be if we circumvent the plan that God has for us. You are right where you are in this life as a believer because God has you in that spot for now. The glory of it all is if you're in the latter part of your years or even in the beginning part of your years, there's a better place coming. Amen? I mean, can we just hold our hope in that? That no matter what the pain and the struggles are, the temptations are, there's a better home coming? Satan always tempts us to go against God's plan. Always. Always, always, always. You can do this. You can do that. You can have this. You can make those connections. Just make it happen. Today, there's a war going on in the minds of the young people. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that. I was just talking to a counselor the other day who works here in the counseling ministry. It's not a part. Some of you are aware that there's a counseling agency that's working in the building. Here they're using their renting space from us, believers, and we let them use the space there. She was telling me, it is amazing to her how many young people are so deceived by their feelings today instead of the truth of God. So many young people are reacting based on how they feel instead of what the truth really is. And that's, again, that's just food. That's just food for Satan. He just loves that. We are emotional people. I'm an emotional person. We listen to our emotions, but we've got to be careful that we don't let those emotions drive us to a false truth, which is no truth at all. That's Satan's masterful plan. Elude from the truth because he wants to do with us what he wants. Do it the world's way, whatever the world says. Do it, cut whatever corner you need to cut. Step on the people you need to step on. Say whatever you need to say to look good. Why wait? You can have it now. All of those kind of things. And when we set our hearts on all of that, we're going to surely fall. And it all goes against what Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom first. Abraham tried to 
follow his own way, thinking that he was doing what God wanted. God had given him the promise of a nation. Sarah said, hey, after about 10 years, this show ain't going on. We need to make something happen here. And so they followed their own plan, and a world turned upside down because we had a whole separate nation that was now anti-everything that God had planned to be a part of his work. Jesus could have had everything too right then if he'd have sold his soul to Satan. But aren't you glad that he didn't do that? I sure am glad he didn't do that. Jesus finally lays down the trump card. Let me read this and we'll be done. Go away, Satan. Get out of here. I love that. Now that's not all he said. He said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As a true king, Jesus has had enough. Beautiful proof that Jesus can resist Satan in everything that he does he knew it was all a lie from the beginning. And this is the point of Matthew's whole context here. Look at Jesus. He is the perfecter of faith. He is the one who completed all of the tempting trials. But here's the, here's the joy of it all. We have the same ability. Not because we're God, but because we have God in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. You remember the scripture? Resist Satan. And what? He'll flee from you. He'll flee from you. The problem is we don't recognize it being Satan. We don't recognize it being our flesh. We have the same power. We have the same ability because the Spirit lives in us. We just need to utilize it. Satan is a counterfeiter. He's a liar. Anything that he has is less than what God has. God has so much better than anything we could ever hope to have. And look at this beautiful thing here. The devil left him in verse seven, verse 11. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Can you imagine that scene? All Jesus had to say is, get out of here. You're done. You're done. And angels came and ministered to him. In effect, Jesus was saying, you know what, Satan? I'm going to trust my father. I'm going to do what I know is right. I'm going to follow his will. I'm not going to presume on his word. I'm not going to go around what he wants. I'm going to do exactly what he wants to do, and so should we. That's really it. We just Our job is to keep our eye on what the Lord has said. Listen, do you understand why we go verse by verse? We go verse by verse every week because if we don't go verse by verse, we will get lost in our emotions, in our wrong thinking about what God has said when God has not said it. We have to go verse by verse, line by line, precept upon precept to make sure we're staying focused or we too will become food for Satan. And we don't want that, right? Everybody go like this. We don't want that. Amen. We don't want that. All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing love and your merciful, merciful act of grace in dying to pay the punishment of our sin. Dying to pay the punishment of our sin. Thank you, Father, that not only did you come to this life to live it in front of us and to prove to us who you are, to show us your great strength, your power, your ability to resist all evil, and to fill us with your spirit so that we might also be able to resist the evil temptations of this life. 
Lord, I pray that you would cause us, and I mean this so sincerely, Lord, that as we go through our days as a church body, here, I'm talking about just us in this room and the people hearing my voice right now, that we would be a people that so trust you that we would be able to see the fleshly temptations as they're coming at us. Or that we would walk so close to you that we would hear your voice guiding us. That your spirit would just move in us so that we would not be overcome by the evil temptations of our flesh that Satan just wants to manipulate. Help us, Lord. Help us to live in such unity with one another that there is no questioning about who we belong to. That the world would just be amazed at what kind of employees we are, what kind of spouses we are, what kind of children we are, what kind of workers we are, whatever it might be, that the world would just stand in awe of you. Lord, thank you for the work that's being done on the physical property and the work over the years by so many that have worked so hard to keep it as a reflection of you. I pray that you'd honor every heart, every hand that's had a a touch in this building, these facilities over the last hundred years. And Lord, you would bring glory to yourself through this. Lord, we know you're coming back. This is not a joke. And we so glory in the fact that you've chosen to bring us into your family by opening our hearts and eyes, that you'd give us the privilege to be a light for others, that you would use us to bring them to your glory as well. Lord, help us to be careful about our minds and our thoughts as we walk and live with each other on a day-to-day basis. And Lord, keep the enemy away from us. Lord, if there's a soul that does not know you and is confused about anything that they've heard today, I pray that you'd have them get in touch with us in some way or talk afterwards or that we might clarify. And Lord, like Nehemiah said in the many days of old as he was building the wall around Jerusalem, that you would remember us, Lord, for good. We understand we're but the dust of the ground. And without you, we're nothing. So we honor you with this day. We honor you with our time and our energy and our lives that you may glorify yourself. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.